You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. In Psalm 23 and verse 5, David reflects on his experience as a shepherd preparing the tablelands for his sheep. The tablelands are the relatively flat green plateaus to which the shepherd leads his flock for summer grazing. Think of the tablelands as the shepherd's food pantry from which he feeds his sheep. Shepherds exert much energy, sacrifice, and careful planning in preparing the tablelands. The Lord's Supper is the most obvious tableland Jesus prepared before us. As an ordinance of the church, communion symbolizes Jesus' broken body and shed blood on the cross. The communal meal remembers the sacrifice that our Good Shepherd made on our behalf to pay the penalty for our sins. I'm Ron Jones, and this is Something Good. In Psalm 23, verse 5, King David says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Hello, and welcome into this Friday edition of Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. I'm Brian Davis. Thanks for stopping by. Well, you don't have to be a foodie to know that if God's making dinner, it'll be the best meal you've ever had. Coming your way next, Ron moves ahead in his teaching series, Psalm 23 and Me, Living the Good Life with the Good Shepherd. Along the way, he'll explain what King David meant when he wrote this passage and how it applies to you and me. Visit somethinggoodradio.org to listen to any of Ron's messages on demand on your schedule. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Subscribe to the podcast at Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Now here's Ron with today's Something Good Radio message, Table Preparations. My grandfather on my mother's side was a foodie before there were foodies. Now, how many foodies do we have here today? How many of you have no idea what I'm talking about when I say a foodie? A foodie is somebody who really likes food, likes restaurants. A foodie might even watch the Food Network. You know, they like these celebrity chefs and, you know, just how they prepare the meals and all of that. My grandfather, who lived through the Depression era and all of that of the early 19, he was a foodie before there were foodies. He loved to go to a restaurant to eat. And uh, my grandmother, on the other hand, she was more of a homebody. She liked a home-cooked meal. She was a great cook. My grandfather never had a bad meal at a restaurant. My grandmother never had a good one. <laughs> and she was the first to tell you just how bad her meal was. But, you know, she, she was right there with my grandfather. She would go, and they would, you know, enjoy a meal out at a restaurant someplace. My, we, we, we took the same family vacation for 25 years, my grandfather did, uh, from Florida, or from, uh, rather from Indiana down to Florida. He would map it out with AAA. He knew the hotels he would stay in. Uh, he, he would know every restaurant he would choose. He would know exactly what he was going to order at that restaurant, even though he, he acted like he read the menu, but he ordered the same thing every time. He was a foodie. Catherine and I love to... Uh, enjoy meals with family and friends at a restaurant. Uh, sometimes it's a greasy spoon, sometimes it's a casual cafe. Sometimes, given a special occasion, it might be at an elegant restaurant and uh, we love good food and uh, good friends and good family conversation and good service 
in places like that. It creates memories. It relaxes us. You know, in high-end restaurants, the presentation of the meal is everything. And a professional chef begins, you know, how that presentation, by the way, he plates it, you know, back there in the kitchen. And then the culinary choreography begins as the servers burst through those swinging doors from the kitchen out to the uh, dining room and they present the meal to you. When it's it's done artfully, it's it's just a wonderful setting, you know, those kinds of restaurants. Some restaurants have taken meal presentation to a higher level. Uh, they will actually prepare the meal in front of you. And they'll, you know, those flames are coming up. I'm, I'm always afraid they're going to singe my hair. You know, you get too close to something like that. But uh, they're, 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 um, uh, they're, they're, they're quite a, an entertainment. Every once in a while, and on a couple of occasions, Catherine and I have been invited to what's called a chef's table. You ever been to a chef's table? That's when the, the chef, and maybe sometimes a celebrity chef, will come out and he'll have a small table kind of in a U-shape, and he'll have his invited guests. He'll prepare the meal, the chef himself will, right in front of you. And he'll even engage in conversation with you. He or she might even share some of their treasured recipes, and you, you, know, you can write some of that down while you're there. Now, all of that and more came to my mind this week when I was studying Psalm 23, came to verse 5, and I read this. You prepare a table before me, in the presence of my enemies. As David writes that, he reflects on his experience as a shepherd preparing the tablelands for the sheep. The tablelands. That's what the shepherd calls them. The tablelands are the relatively flat green plateaus to which the shepherd leads his flock for summer grazing. Remember, we're in that part of the psalm where uh, now the, the shepherd is moving his flock uh, through the dark valleys uh, to the other side of that valley and to uh, the summer grazing highlands or tablelands. You prepare a table for me. You, you prepare a meal for me. You, you prepare the place where I'm going to graze all summer long in the presence of my enemy. Think of the tablelands as the chef's table from which the shepherd feeds his sheep. I've always said that a, a shepherd uh, loves his sheep, leads his sheep, feeds his sheep, and protects his sheep. I try to remember that as the under-shepherd, a pastor of a church, to love the sheep and lead the sheep, feed the sheep, and protect the sheep. And here we have a picture of the shepherd, the good shepherd, preparing a table before me in the presence of my enemies. We'll get to that in the latter part of the message. But he's preparing a place from which he can feed his sheep. Now, some Bible teachers say that beginning in verse 5, there's a shift in the rhetorical imagery away from the sheep and the shepherds to this image of a banquet prepared by a host for a friend. And I'm not, I'm not denying that there might be some of that here, but I don't think it's primary. There is an ancient custom of hospitality in the way you honor uh, a guest that you invite into your home and prepare a meal for that guest, even as we'll find in the weeks to come, anointing that guest's head with oil. But I still believe the sheep and shepherd imagery 
is uh, primary. Like the hard work chefs put into preparing meals for their guests, shepherds exert much energy and careful planning into preparing uh, the tablelands for summer grazing. For example, uh, when they get there, um, they meticulously go over the ground and, and make sure there aren't any poisonous plants that might have grown up in the off season. And it's hard work to do this. I mean, you know, they don't have modern farming equipment. David didn't to till up the soil again. He had a rod and a staff and that was it. But he meticulously goes over the tablelands, the, the, the grazing pastures, and uh, uh, plucks up those poisonous plants. These are some of the enemies of the sheep. If the sheep eat these toxic green vegetations that look very, uh, you know, uh, sumptuous to them, they can get sick and eventually die. So there's a lot behind this imagery of, you prepare a table for me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Now, we've been noticing all along in our study of uh, Psalm 23 that um, the rhetorical images are analogous to the Christian life. And we, we build that uh, applicational bridge there from the ancient pasture lands and the green pastures and still waters and the dark valleys and all of that to uh, our experience as the sheep of his pasture and as uh, people who are living this thing called the Christian life. What do the tablelands teach us? Let me broaden the question a little bit. Uh, what, what does food in the Bible teach us about God? Actually, a closer study of that subject, food and meals and how they're presented in the Bible and how God used them. It's a fascinating study and it helps us understand the ways we, well, we understand the ways of God and even the kingdom of God. And as we'll find out as we uh, travel on a journey together in a moment through God's tablelands from Genesis to Revelation, even in the eternal state, in the new heaven and the new earth, food is there. He's preparing a table for us, even in the presence of our enemies. I invite you to join me on this quick journey through God's tablelands. Let's begin in the Garden of Eden in Genesis, where the Lord planted two trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Each tree produced, you know, a, a, a fruit, some food. For Adam and his wife Eve. God told Adam that he could eat from all the trees in the garden except one. Remember that? Eat from any tree that you want to eat from, Adam, even the tree of life. But don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in that way, God established moral boundaries and his moral authority in the garden. Don't eat from that one, Adam. Well, you remember the story in Genesis chapter 3, the serpent of old slithered his way into the garden and enticed Eve to take a bite from the forbidden fruit. And it changed everything forever. She then took that fruit and gave it to her husband, Adam. They both ate. They both disobeyed God. One disobedient bite ruined paradise. The paradise for which we were created, it ruined it for all of us. And here we are living in a fallen world, a broken world, a sin-stained world, sin-contaminated humanity. You, you want a, an answer for all the 
the bad news that we see on television and uh, what, what seems to be a world that is unraveling at the seams, it goes all the way back to the first meal that God prepared for his creation and the disobedience that came from there. We inherited a sin nature. Uh, we don't, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. We don't know any better. And we need redemption in Jesus Christ. I read a little bit f- uh, further beyond the book of uh, Genesis to the book of Exodus. And the God of the Hebrew people used a meal uh, featuring meat from an unblemished lamb. He used that meal to free his people from Egyptian slavery. I'm talking about the Passover meal. Another way that God prepared a table before his people in the presence of their enemies. Through Moses, the Lord instructed them to paint the doorposts of their house with the blood of the sacrificed lamb. And when the death angel came over Egypt that night, when he saw the blood covering the doorposts of the house, he passed over that house. And since then, the Jewish people have been celebrating Passover Um, which is a meal with a robust picture of Jesus Christ, whom the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7 called our Passover lamb. Don't go away. We'll be right back with more of Dr. Ron Jones' message, Table Preparations. In case you're new to the program, we'd like you to know that we archive all of Ron's messages at our website, somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. And when you stop by, use the Partner tab at the top of the homepage to check out the 828 Club, a special group of people who partner with Ron so that he can share the good news of Jesus Christ with a growing audience. Join the 828 Club from our website or give us a call at 757-276-1099. That's 757-276-1099. Well, food plays a prominent role in Scripture, in both the Old and New Testaments. Ron offers a few examples next in the second half of today's Something Good radio message, Table Preparations. Let's listen in. I mean, these images from the Old Testament are powerful, they're robust, and they point us to our Savior, who is preparing a table for us in the presence of our enemies. And uh, in this case, a picture of uh, the sacrifice of our Lord upon the cross. Shortly after the Hebrew people passed out of Egypt and through the Red Sea, you might remember that they settled near Mount Sinai. For the next 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness. But the Lord was preparing a table for them in the presence of their enemies. Do you remember how he fed them during those 40 years? Manna burgers. Yeah. Manna this and manna that. Oh, man, oh, man. I mean, they got so tired of eating manna, bread from heaven, a daily ration of this flaky, edible substance that appeared on the ground each morning. The Bible tells us it was like coriander seed and that manna tasted like wafers uh, made with honey. And it was through the daily manna that God's people learned to trust him, to trust him to prepare a table for them, to feed them, to nourish them in the presence of their enemies. And this epic manna story 
and all the powerful lessons that go with it. It echoes through the scriptures. You come to the gospels and Jesus taught his disciples to pray, give us this day our daily bread. That's manna language. It took 40 years, 40 years in the wilderness for them to develop this, this reflux in their system to trust God to provide daily bread. And Jesus even teaches us uh, to pray that way. It's, it's, it's almost like praying, Lord, prepare a table before me, a daily table before me in the presence of my enemies. Later, Jesus compared himself to the manna that fell from heaven and then declared, I am the bread of life. This is manna language again. And then very near that, he, he fed a meal, <laughs> a meal made up of a little boy's sack lunch, which contained only five barley loaves and two fish. He fed 5,000 people. The miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, preparing a table before us in the presence of our enemies. There's more of God's table lands in the parables that Jesus told. And the Bible, the Gospels, record 38 of Jesus' stories. He was a great storyteller, his parables. And, and you might expect there's, there's some meals and food represented. Luke chapter 14 records the parable of the great banquet. Of course, uh, he's preparing a table for us in the presence of our enemies. Uh, the parable tells us that those that received an invitation to a great banquet all alike began to make excuses as to why they could not come. And upon hearing their excuses, the master of the house became angry. And he said, do you remember this? Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the cities and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. For I tell you, none of those who were invited shall taste my banquet. And this was a poke in the eye and a jab in the chest to the nation of Israel that would reject the invitation of their Messiah. And when they did, the Lord said, Go out there and bring the Gentiles in too. And that's why we're here today. Now, the most obvious table land Jesus prepared for us is the Lord's Supper. And this is that week of the month that we go to the Lord's table in just a few moments. But the Lord's Supper is an ordinance of the church. Communion remembers the broken body and shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. On our eternal behalf, uh, our good shepherd and our savior died and rose from the dead, defeating sin and death in the presence of his enemies and ours. In the hours before his arrest and trial and crucifixion, you remember Jesus spent some time in the garden of Gethsemane and experienced the depths of human agony. It reminds me of shepherds who prepare a table land for their sheep and often do so at great personal sacrifice. They experience loneliness and personal deprivation. It's hard work out there on the summer highlands preparing the table from which he will feed his sheep. Uh, there's still more to the table lands our good shepherd is preparing for us. Now let's race all the way to the end of the Bible and the New Testament to the book of Revelation. And in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, there are seven letters that Jesus wrote to seven first century churches located along the western coast of modern day Turkey. And the last letter that he wrote was to the church 
at Laodicea. Do you remember the distinguishing characteristic of the church at Laodicea? It's known as the lukewarm church. I had to travel to that part of the world to really understand the geographical reference there because nearby is Colossae, and then nearby to Colossae and Laodicea is a town called Hierapolis. Hierapolis is kind of the hot springs. Colossae is where Laodicea got their cold water. Hierapolis is where the warm water came uh, to um, Laodicea. And by the time it arrived, uh, it was lukewarm. Everybody knew that. And Jesus used that geographic reference to, um, to tell the church at Laodicea what their spiritual condition was. You're a lukewarm church. You're neither hot nor cold. Makes me want to spit you out of your mouth or out of his mouth. And it was to the church at Laodicea that in spite of their lukewarmness, Jesus sent an invitation to them for a fellowship meal. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20 might sound familiar to some of you. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, Jesus says. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. When God prepares a meal, whether it's the Lord's Supper or a wedding feast, it's more about relationship than it is anything else. And even now, He's preparing for the greatest wedding feast of all, one that will come at the end of days. What a glorious celebration that will be. You're listening to Something Good Radio with Dr. Ron Jones. Today's message, Table Preparations, along with all of Ron's messages, can be heard on demand at somethinggoodradio.org. Use the radio tab at the top of the homepage. That's somethinggoodradio.org. While you're there, take a look at a discipleship coaching experience developed by Dr. Ron Jones called Starting Point, a disciple's first steps. Look for courses at the top of the homepage. Hello, friend. I'm Ron Jones of Something Good Radio. If you've been with us for a while, if you're a regular listener and God is using this broadcast in your life, I want to speak directly to you. When you first tuned in or streamed something good, did you know that other people paid to air that program? We call them our ministry partners. They have people just like you in mind when they donate monthly to something good, which is a 100% listener-supported ministry. Now that you're a regular listener, will you do the same? Will you help us share something good with someone else? We created the 828 Club for people who choose to partner with this ministry through prayer and monthly financial support. It's based on Romans 828, which in the message says, every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. I'm asking you to prayerfully consider joining the 828 Club today by giving $28 or more per month to share something good with someone else. And when you do, we'll send you some resources to help you grow in your relationship with God. It's our way of saying thanks for your partnership in this gospel ministry. So please join the 828 Club today. Here's Brian with all the details. When you partner with us here at Something Good, we'll send you a free copy of Ron Jones' full-length book, Mysteries of the Afterlife, exploring its amazing secrets. To join the 828 Club today, please visit our website, somethinggoodradio.org, and look for the Partners tab at the top of the homepage. That's somethinggoodradio.org or call 757-276-1099.
If you can't become a partner but would like to make a donation today, Ron would love to send you his book, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. Volumes 1 and 2 can be yours by request when you invest $50 or more into the media ministry of something good. When you order the print versions, you'll also gain unlimited access to the Route 66 Digital Library, a $275 value. The online library includes electronic versions of the book, plus video sermons, audio messages, and downloadable sermon notes on all 66 books of the Bible. For more information, visit somethinggoodradio.org. There's a spiritual battle going on. The real enemy and the persistent enemy for the believer in Jesus Christ, for the sheep of his pasture, is the world, the flesh, and the devil. If you haven't figured that out, you need to stop pointing at this person or that person and understand the spiritual reality behind it. He's preparing a table for you in the presence of your enemy, and he is a relentless enemy, the world, the flesh, and the devil. That's next time when Ron shares part two of his message, Table Preparations. Join us then for Something Good. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis saying God bless and thanks for listening.